on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Somebody stop me. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. <laughs> Sorry, I choked a little bit there. This is what plays in the Cucks locker room after every win. Should. It does. At the end of every successful period. Yeah, they've hired a big man. It's just in there now. It's a speakeasy after the game. <laughs> what kind of Canucks locker room has cool jazz music and drinking at three in the morning? And we're a little bit old school here. The best Canucks locker room in town. We're all reading their press clippings. <laughs> Hour two of the Halford and Bruff show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You have a text that you would like to read from the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. Reminder, get yours in. We got an entire open segment here to talk nothing but Vancouver Canucks. What did the text say? It's an unsigned text, and it said, I know Pedersen, Hughes, and Tockett are getting a lot of love, but I think the real MVP of this year is JT Miller. He plays with energy and emotion. I feel like he is the heartbeat of this team. Uh, love the text. Um, Gary. I, I, it's from Gary, unsigned. Um, I loved that shift last night when McDavid – Went to the front of the net, and Miller just gave him a shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then McDavid was like, how dare you? And he kind of... Kind of cross-checked him in the head. Kind of cross-checked him in the head and kind of didn't get a penalty But you know it. what? And then Miller just gave it right back to him. And, and then McDavid and, looked at the ref. Mm-hmm. And then Zach Hyman came in and tried to rescue McDavid, and Phil DiGiuseppe was like, should I hit McDavid? I'm, <laughs> I'm right here. I probably shouldn't, right? Like, I, <laughs> Am I even allowed to? <laughs> We've trained but, for this scenario, but I forget what to do. Yeah, But... You know, Miller versus McDavid last night, I'm sure on the uh, on the Corsi stat, like McDavid won that battle, but Miller, you know, he, oh, he Miller, won more, right? Miller, like, I mean, Miller, yeah. Miller, Miller was all over McDavid and, and I, and I love that. I love that. He's like, Hey, listen, I don't care who you are. If you're coming to the front of the net, you're going to get hit. And if you want to act like a big baby about it and act like, well, I, well, I'm Connor McDavid, I don't get hit. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to hit you back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think Miller has been, I think Miller has been brilliant this season. And yes, he got held accountable for four minutes by Rick Tockett when he was running a little hot. And you know what? That's fine. That happens. Ever since then, he's responded really well, and it wasn't like he wasn't playing brilliantly before then. If I were... Actually, let's have this debate right now. Sure. Who has been the Canucks MVP? Because even though I love how JT Miller is playing, um, I think it's Quinn Hughes. Okay. Do you want me just to jump in, or do you want to add on to why you think it's Quinn Hughes? You just think it's Hughes because he's the best defenseman in the NHL right now? Listen, my whole Canucks fandom, I've been waiting for a guy like Quinn Hughes and I remember one of the one of the first articles we ever wrote for the actual newspaper like not just a blog post for the curtain blog the province you're talking about the province newspaper one of the first things like this is over a decade ago now okay. easily well, 15 years ago probably was you know the Canucks have never had that guy 
on the back end. Sure. They've had some good players, don't get me wrong, but they've never had that guy. And one of the big spiels I would go through is they've been to the Stanley Cup at that time. They'd been to the Stanley Cup final twice, and they lost to Dennis Potvin, who was an unbelievable defenseman for the New York Islanders. Mm -hmm. They went in 94 to the Stanley Cup final, and they lost to uh, Brian Leach, who was incredible in that series. Now, eventually they went in 2011 and they lost to Zidane O'Chara, like first ballot Hall of Famers. Meanwhile, you look around at all the teams, you know, Calgary, I grew up with those guys having Al McInnes and and Suter. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Edmonton had all those great forwards, but they had Paul Coffey on the back end. Quinn Hughes is the first guy that they've actually had on this team that can control the game from the back end. Again, they've had some good defensemen. None of them that control the game like Quinn Hughes does. Okay. Uh, I I think Miller has been great this year. I think Hughes has been great this year, but I think it's an obvious answer to who the Canucks MVP is this season. Thatcher Demko. And I'll tell you why. He's a workhorse as well. It's past the point of saying that the sample size is too small to take anything from it. He's faced the second most shots in the NHL this season. There are only six goalies that have played over 500 minutes already. He is one of them. Of those six goalies, nobody's numbers are even remotely close to Demko's. He's got a 948. He's saving 95% of the shots he is facing. And he has the second most shots faced in the NHL. I mean, that to me makes it cut and dry. That part scares me. That means his workload is shut up, Laddie. I'm on a roll. I actually think <laughs> they should go. I actually, with, with that in mind, and I wonder if they will, they probably won't, but I would like to see them go DeSmith in Ottawa, Demko in Toronto, DeSmith in Montreal. Wow. I, fair. I, I get it's, it. It's a fair point. I get it. And thank you for sullying my goalie praise with the fact that they are going to burn them out because right now, I mean, look. I'm just worried. That's all. There, like I said, the reason I brought up the minutes played and the starts and games played is because there's only a handful of guys right now that are carrying the mail big time. And in certain places, for example, Johansson in uh, Tampa Bay, it's because they don't really have another option. Like, he has to do Look it. Look at Hellebuck in Winnipeg. He's played a lot, and he's not playing all that well. He's got an 890. There's a reason that the guys ahead of Demko, there's only five guys ahead of Demko in terms of shots faced and minutes played, and they all don't have very good numbers. Mm-hmm. Cam Talbot has good numbers for the Kings. But outside of that, it's Demko. And he is playing out of his mind. And the only reason I'm giving him the MVP over the other guys is because of the workload. He's out there a lot. He's the reason they win that game yesterday against Edmonton. I know in a 6-2 game you're thinking, the goalie's not making a difference. But they are not in that game in the first period if Demko isn't as good as Do you know how awesome it is that we can have this debate and there can be literally like four guys and maybe five if you want to be like, I think the head coach is the MVP. Elias Pettersson... (laughs) Yeah, is leading the league in scoring. I don't even and we're count. all kind of like, I don't, count it. I don't know. Has he even been 100%? Would anyone take PD as the MVP so far? A-Dog? I feel like you'd be the PD guy. No. If, if anyone. no I mean, you were my, Hughes. My, yeah, my like immediate reaction without thinking about it was, yeah, it's Hughes. Mm. But honestly, I have time for Rick Tockett if we can go not players, like if we can go coaching staff. Right. Just be based on how the team is bought into his system. He has far outperformed as a coach what I expected him to so far, just based on his resume. Not to say that he was a bad coach or anything, but it's just he hasn't had a a huge winning team like this before, um, putting up the numbers that they are at least. And, uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with what Rocket's done with the squad. So I I will fully admit that 
and listen, the Canucks still haven't proven anything yet. But one of the things that we debated a lot on this show was whether or not the Canucks core players could perform at the level of the best in the league, right? We were like, we all like Quinn Hughes, but is he Kale McCarr? We all like Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, but are they at the level of Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid? Like, you know, we we liked them. We just didn't know if they were going to be, you know, elite. The elite of the elite. Mm -hmm. And we looked back, as we always did, on the 2011 team. And we said, listen, the bar is to have multiple guys on the team that are up for major awards. You had the Sedins winning Art Rosses, Hart Trophies. You had Kessler winning Selkies. You had Luongo should have won Vesnas. You had a coach of the year and a candidate. I can't remember if he won it in AV. Like they, they all came together at the same time and they were winning major awards. I didn't think this group could get to that level. And I'm fine. Listen, do, you don't know how many times I've said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm like when we were all, we were like, well, we weren't wrong. Like I'm, I am, I have been so far. I did not see this coming. Mm-hmm. I've been so wrong. Yeah. Right? Like so wrong. I still wonder how the JT Miller contract is going to age, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't care. Well, no, well, I do care, but wait. A, but now I'm like, well, maybe I totally miscalculated that this team could be a contender while he's still in his prime. Yeah, I mean that was the whole point of the contract. Was, right. I mean, and there was a so there was the two parts with the contract. Was one how bad it might age in the back half of it, but two in the front half was it going to align with them being competitive? Through the, the, the hashtag, the start, it's been great. I think that's uh, an important facet of all of this. But getting back to what you were talking about with regards to being elite is going into this season, we had, and I think fairly and justifiably, seeded certain things in the Pacific Division. Like, I thought that the top three spots were pretty much going to be Edmonton, LA, and Vegas in whatever way, shape, sure. or form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I said going into it that at the center position, the best center in the division is Connor McDavid, and the second one's probably Jack Eichel, and then the third one is probably some hybrid of Kopitar and Deneau and Dubois. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a pecking order. Defensively, I mean, there's a lot of talented D-men in that division, right? You've got Drew Doughty, a Norris winner in L.A. You've got a lot of guys in Vegas that could make the case for being a Norris contenders, including Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore. But the, the Canucks have kicked down the door and forced their way into those individual conversations in such a dramatic way. Because, again, go to the NHL statistic page right now. It is littered with Canucks. Elias Pettersson leads the entire NHL in scoring, and Quinn Hughes is third. Thatcher Demko has Vesna caliber numbers across the board. You know what's funny is, like, you go to the defenseman leading scorer, and, like, Philip Peronic's third. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not so just that it's not, like, because that's why Free just pointing out quite astutely that all of their star players are playing great. Not just producing, but producing at a star level. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brock Besser's on pace for 60 goals. And that doesn't even get mentioned. And it's it, it's a, that is why at times 
I almost have to take a step back and and not necessarily pinch myself, but say, okay, reality is some of this is unsustainable. Like I don't yeah. think Besser's going to score are, sixty. This are we year. all terrified of looking like complete idiots? Based on the way the Canucks have started, and we're talking about the awards watch, and like I'm saying, I was wrong about this. You uh, know, okay, and- yes, because it does seem totally unrealistic. Yeah, but at the same time. Like, it's the old Bill Parcells line. You are what your record says you are, and you are what the statistics say you are. Pedersen is the NHL's leading scorer, mm-hmm. and it's not after two games. You know, we're, we're at a point where there have been enough games played that the Canucks can open up a 14-point gap on the Edmonton Oilers. Like, you need to play a certain amount of games just to be able to open up that gap, and they have. So at a certain point, I hate saying it is what it is, but this is what it is. They are all over the map, and I cannot believe the amount of positivity oozing from our pores here. Mm -hmm. And again, we always say it's not house of positivity or negativity. It's house of reality. Yeah. And this is the reality. The Canucks have played remarkably well. It's one of, if not the best starts in franchise history. And we're just processing it and working through it. And we're saying, who's the MVP? And we can have a debate where you have four legitimate candidates all of whom have been huge for the team this year. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Do you remember I told that story back in about back in maybe it was 2010 or something? And I and I ran into a friend at the Canucks game, and he was a guy that kind of kind of followed hockey, but not like hardcore. And he was like, "Could they do it this year? Like, could they win the cup?" And I was like, "They're a good team, man. They're a really good team. I'm not there yet with this team, right? Um, Be- because they haven't shown it. It's only been." 11 or 12 games. Yeah. But I hope by the halfway mark, if someone asks me, like, do you think they can do it? I hope I can be in this position. I'm like, you know what, man? They're a really good team. So they are legit. Someone just texted into the Dunbar Lumber text message in, back, in basket at 650-650. Reminder, if you want to weigh in on the Canucks or you want to get tickets to see SmackDown in January, uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Do you guys think Brock Besser should still be traded to create cap space? Now, this question is important because it's not just necessarily about Besser. It's a bigger picture thing, which is, do you get distracted in the present and not focus on the long term and the future? Because Mm -hmm. the reality of it is, there's a lot of good teams in the National Hockey League. It's a highly hyper-competitive league, especially at the top. And you still have a team that roster-wise, construction-wise is not perfect. There are other teams out there probably built to be a little more sustainable over an 82-game season and over a playoff run. So what you have to be able to do here in Vancouver is say, hey, is there opportunities to make our team better? That should be the question, whether you're first in the NHL standings Mm -hmm. or 32nd. Your goal on a daily basis should always be, can we make ourselves better? Is it incrementally? Are we making ourselves better? 3% 3% better, 4% better. That should always be the driving force for decision makers. But I'd have, I'd have, I mean, listen, this is how much things have changed. With Brock Besser, okay, last season, there would have been multiple people, including myself, that would have said, anyone who wants him can have him because we need the cap space, mm-hmm. right? And he's not producing. And now just 11 games into the season, for numerous reasons, number one, he's scoring goals, but also he's on this really effective line, and you wouldn't want to break up that chemistry. No. That Miller, Besser, and Phil DiGiuseppe have. That's their shutdown line, and now you're like, I don't want to trade him. But you would also be nuts not to entertain it. You guys understand this, right? 
we both understand what chemistry looks like. We don't have it. But that Di Giuseppe and Besser and Miller line certainly does. Um, I also think that there would be a significant impact to the group if you were to just up and deal a guy who means a lot to that team. Those guys like Besser. They appreciate that it's been a hard couple of years for him. Mm-hmm. I think they love the fact that he's rebounded in this way, and the fans have that connection so too. To, so to answer the question, do you still think Besser should be traded to create cap space? Not for only that reason. Nope. No, I don't. Nope. Nope. Absolutely You just need not. to frame it differently. No. You but just need to frame it differently. Frame, frame what differently? A potential move. Right. Which is, what's our end game here? If you had a, if you had a potential top four defenseman that you could get for Besser, then you'd have to consider it. You would. You'd have to consider it. Mark Friedman is not the answer. Tyler Myers is not the answer. He's he, this is this is Tyler Myers has one year left on his deal anyway. He's he's not re-signing with the Canucks. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's not going to happen. You know, Mark Friedman yesterday, as well as you know the Canucks played at times. There was a play early in in the game when I, I can't remember who got the breakaway on Demko, but Friedman was just like standing at the blue line. He was just totally caught flat-footed. And he doesn't play that much. He plays like 10 minutes a game, nine minutes a game now, because he is what he is. When he was traded to the Canucks, uh, he was in the AHL, and the Canucks were in such dire straits that they had to um, they had to put him in there right away. There was like, well, we can't play Noah Juleson. Yeah. Right? Like Cole McWard isn't ready. He's down in the AHL. There's no one else. We have to play this guy. So going forward, there are still these obvious roster spots. Yeah. That ha- that they have to be addressed. You can't just have two defensemen, right? Ian Cole, again, he's another guy, right? Who's who's great right now. He's on a one year deal. He's mm-hmm. a pending UFA. So hopefully the the Canucks can keep him and keep him for uh, a a reasonable rate. But if you're Ian Cole, you're probably like, mm, you need me. Um, I will say this, and on the subject of all these acquisitions like Friedman and Cole and et cetera, the job that Patrick Alvin did in the offseason, specifically with getting incrementally better at certain positions, has been a real boon to this group. Because I think you can say that no one was jumping out of their shoes with excitement and shock when the Canucks made moves like Bluger, Suter, Cole, Susie. But they understood that those players represented upgrades, maybe not massive, but made the group better, made the defense a little bit better, made the bottom six forward group a little bit better. Getting Lafferty right before the start of the season made them a little bit faster. So those small improvements, right? Mm-hmm. It, they've all worked. Through this first start of the season, they have all worked. And even the Friedman thing has worked because while he isn't a star by any stretch of the imagination, um, it just he doesn't come in and make egregious errors, which is what we saw from some of the guys that they were trying to shoehorn into that spot. So that is another thing where you look at and you're saying, man, have guys ticked the boxes with regards to being MVPs, right? Alvin has done a great job in his capacity. Rick Tockett has done a terrific job in his first full season as head coach, right? Not coming aboard midway through and picking up the scraps. And then you go, Petey, Miller, Besser. God, I could keep going. You Hughes, know, Demko, you, you, take your pick. Actually, right? Tyler Myers is playing great right now. What what you just said about... Um, we were asking, talking about the MVP, and I think Hughes gets my vote for his on-ice play. But one thing I didn't add was... He's the new captain. Yep. And how can we not say he's done a terrific job as new captain? Seems to be doing a great job. I'm not in the room. Mm-hmm. 
but well, he seems to be doing a great job. It seems to like I think he's done a great job talking to the media, um, addressing things, um, you know, talking about how the expectations are higher now, how they're going to hold each other accountable. I think he's done a terrific job as captain, and I think he was in hindsight, in hindsight, the obvious pick, mm-hmm. right? JT Miller is a great emotional leader, but sometimes you need a little more composure. And PD very really isn't comfortable in that sort of role. Yep. I don't think he is. So in hindsight, he was the obvious answer in the way he's playing, the way he's got this like growth mindset of I'm good, but I can be even better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, think it's terrific. I think the captaincy thing, I mean, when you talk about direct impact. It's actually kind of a nebulous conversation because there's no particular one thing that you point to, but you just know, like, okay, the team is going to put an added emphasis and an added responsibility, but also an added prestige on your name. There, it's, it's something that is not taken lightly. And when that happens, suddenly it's like, well, why is Hughes better? And it's like, well, he just, he just is. He's the captain now. And there's all the different tangents and all the different facets that go into it, but it's a really important thing to bring up because in the year that he is anointed captain, he's also risen to the level of, is this guy the best defenseman in the NHL right now? Mm-hmm. How much does being named the captain have to do with that? And Wish was talking about this sort of coronation that's going on right now, and it all goes hand in hand. The 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 organization pushes him to the forefront. You're the face of this thing now. And now they go out and have this great start to the season. And suddenly Hughes isn't just a guy in the Norris conversation. Mm -hmm. He's a guy where you're asking, is he going to win the award? All of it plays into one another. And it's been a great thing to see unfold. I just hope it keeps going. Um, Axel Schuster is going to join us in just a few minutes. But um, for those of you wondering what's coming up for the Canucks, well, uh, they're headed east on a road trip. Uh, through three Canadian cities. The first is Ottawa. The second is Toronto. That game's on Saturday. Uh, And then Sunday, they play in Montreal. And I am getting greedy because I've already seen the Canucks damage the Oilers. (laughs) I don't know about fully destroy the Oilers, Mm. but what if they go into Ottawa where the fans are chanting for DJ Smith to be fired? What if they finish off DJ Smith in Ottawa and then go into Toronto and light up the Leafs? Because I don't know if anyone watched the Leafs-Lightning game yesterday. It was a very entertaining game. It was a wild game. The Leafs ended up winning 6-5 in overtime, but they were down 4-1, and they've got issues too. They're not quite at Oilers level in terms of panic, but their defense has major problems, and I guess at the very least, they've got that young goalie, jo- Joseph Wohl. They may have they found can, their Demko. They, yeah. they, they may have found their goalie, right? But it's not Samsonov. He started yesterday, and he was dreadful. But defensively, they've got issues. Like Klingberg, I don't know if you can play him anymore the way he is defensively. I suppose he's okay offensively, but that team has issues. And the way the Canucks are firing right now, the amount of goals that they're scoring, 
If I was the Leafs, I would not want to play the Canucks right now because they have defensive issues. Uh, so Jason mentioned it, but coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Whitecaps sporting director Axel Schuster. I am very, very curious to hear what he has to say about the officiating in Sunday's loss to LAFC and what the future has in store for his manager, Vanny Sartini, who has come under major fire for his remarks and his antics on Sunday. Axel Schuster coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The referee was a disaster. We have to be completely honest. The referee was a disaster. You know, uh, at the end, uh, we didn't have a fair chance, to be honest. 7.32 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Axel Schuster, Whitecaps sporting director, is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, we'll talk about, among other things, those comments you just heard coming back from break from Vanny Sartini following Sunday's 1-0 loss. Very controversial to LAFC, knocking the Whitecaps out of the playoffs. Uh, hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. We are joined now by Whitecaps Sporting Director Axel Schuster here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Axel. How are you? Good morning. I'm very good. How are you? Uh, we are well. Thanks for taking the time to do this. And thanks for taking today to do this, because I basically gave you an entire day, Monday, to sit back and digest the season coming to an end on Sunday against uh, LAFC. Let's just start big picture about Sunday's match. What are your thoughts on how things went against LAFC at BC Place on Sunday? Yeah, thank you. First, you're right. It, it, uh, it was a long day yesterday, but uh, a good day also to calm down things. And if you if you look back at this point, you have to see the positives. Walk away from from the the pure result of the game and that we are eliminated by the play, in the playoffs. But look at the positives. Look at where we have moved this club this year. The amount of people that have been in the stadium more than thirty thousand the first time in MLS history. Um, the, the the fact that we had a home playoff, that this team has played amazing and entertaining soccer. And I think also the game on Saturday was entertaining, a little bit too entertaining from our side out. But but in general, um, we have developed this year, this team to the next level and take the positives from that, build on that and, and continue to do what we do, did the last three years, uh, develop the team each year uh, to the next level. What did you think of the job that referee Tim Ford did on Sunday? <laughs> Look, uh, he he had a really difficult game to 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 um, to to lead because most of the things that happened in his games and that's that's the nature of a player of have been fifty fifty decisions. So and obviously you always upset the team that uh, doesn't get the fifty fifty. Um, so there, it was also such an important game, and both teams uh, have developed some form of a rivalry over the six games that we played this year. So it was very early heated up. So I, I have to say he had not an easy job to do. Um, was everything perfect from our side? 
No, but was everything perfect from LAFC side over over the last games? I don't know. I think um, um, we we have to move away from that, and it's definitely to make that really clear. It wasn't the reason that we haven't proceeded in the playoffs. LAFC has deserved to to move on over the two games. They have been the better team, and um, said that um, let's focus on the next season and and putting us in a position that uh, we don't have to discuss any referee decisions at the end of the season. Well, speaking of next season, it's very possible that whatever punishment Vanny Sartini is going to get could bleed into next season. How big a punishment are you expecting MLS to levy against your manager? <laughs> Look, uh, I, I will not. I will not speak about uh, uh, that yet because uh, MLS is uh, looking into it. And I, I, I have to say, look, um, um, there have been a lot of emotions. The game was super important, and uh, things got heated up. But of course, also we as an organization, there have been a few things that we don't like, and uh, we will speak about how to how to do better in future. This is not only about MLS, this is also about us. Uh, that was not only Vanny Zatini. I think uh, uh, things got so heated up that uh, in the last game and also a few other um, members of our staff have, um, I would say, um, not been a role model for, for example, 8,000 soccer kids that have been in the stadium. And we have also to learn. We have to develop on every single level. Um, we have a young team. We have a young coaching staff. And I think um, we we are allowing mistakes, but uh, uh, then we all have to learn from it and have to do better in the future. So yesterday, the Professional Soccer Referees Association, which represents professional referees in U.S. and Canada, <laughs> they released a statement saying that Vanny Sartini's postgame comments were, quote, disgusting and take the rhetoric against officials at all levels to dangerous levels. In light of all of this, do you guys still stand by your manager moving forward? <laughs> <laughs> the the referee association um first and foremost uh, um, i have to say hasn't hasn't really seen and have hasn't hasn't really heard the the and um, the statements so we have first of all yesterday shared with them um, what was really said because it was a a pre press conference comment that Benny thought um, was uh, off the record so this i think is is also very important um I, as I said, we have to we have to take the time that everything cools down and that uh, everyone <laughs> discuss that without the emotions of after a game. I have also said that everything was done in a way that I would say, uh, or let me say the other way around. Not everything I have seen I liked, but we are also an organization that allows mistakes. If we if we believe that uh, the individuals learn from these mistakes and will do better in the future. So, Axel, um, where did you guys fall short against LAFC? Yeah, it's. It, I, I think, look, for me, <laughs> coming from uh, an, a soccer environment where you don't play playoffs, uh, it was also uh, an interesting learning session. I, I was watching other playoff games, and then often you journalists say, ah, yeah, look, um, this is uh, this are the playoffs. This is a team that uh, knows well how to play playoffs. Uh, they are so experienced how to play a playoff game, and then you play this game yourselves against a team that is experienced to play the playoff games. And you think, yeah, that's obviously that that's that's what everyone speaks about. If you look at the other games, it's uh, the playoffs games are so tight games. Every little thing counts. 
it's um, really about very little things. And in the first game, it was about our defending of set pieces. Um, we, we kept the game even. We, we had a really good first half, but we have conceded um, three set piece goals. And that's then too much in such a game. Um, and in this game, um, I would say we couldn't get the, the little things on our side. Uh, LFC um, has um, been maybe a little bit more experienced and could um, could uh, hold us away from their goal. We haven't allowed anything over the two games from open play other than the one goal Buanga scored. And that was enough. Um, said that, we have a very young team. We know that. And we believe in development. And we believe that with, with having another year, with also having this experience, with also um, maybe adding the one or the other piece, we will be more ready than next year to also pull such a tight game, a playoff game where the little things matter and where also maybe some of this experience matters than on our side. So you guys are, listen, unless you want to push back on this, I don't think the Whitecaps are ever going to be the big spenders of MLS. I'm not saying that they're not going to spend any money, but it's probably not going to happen, right? To the tune of what, Inter Miami is doing, for example, or even what TFC has done. So, what do you want the Whitecaps to be? What is the identity of the team? Um, how are you going to compete for championships? Look, the, the easy answer to that is that there is one team that is competing since three years with championships that actually has even spent less than us, uh, Philadelphia Union. So, um, said that. It's not a guarantee, <laughs> uh, but also spending is not a guarantee because there are some very, very big spender. And one of the biggest spenders in the league is actually a team that also plays in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, that proves that spending alone is not a key to success. But they did win. They did win a title. And the Whitecaps have won one playoff game in their history. We have won two Canadian championships and we have been in the playoffs twice in the last three years while this team hasn't been in the playoffs with big spending. So big spending isn't given any guarantee while Philadelphia, a team that has spent less than us in the last three years, has been twice in the in the semifinal finals. So said that, the, the thing is to make the right decisions, to stick to your culture, to your philosophy, to your plan. And our plan, obviously, is to be a team that is um, very, very physical, very difficult to play. A team that 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 is as a team of eleven individuals a better team than maybe some of the big spenders on the other side. And this this can lead to success. Uh, uh, Salt Lake obviously is another example. A team that made the conference finals two years ago, and now is again in the in the playoffs. So it's it's not only um, Philadelphia. There are other teams that I would say play with a similar approach, similar style, and are successful with this. And and I think this is also the key for our success this year. We have been sixth. We have been only three points apart from, from a top four position. And and we have proceeded we have we have we have uh, proceeded and, and developed our, our play every year in all stats. And if we continue to do this, then it doesn't matter if we spend or not, if we if we have a development in all the stats that you have in the game. Mm-hmm. Again, next year, as we had this year, then we will be a top four team. And I think then everyone would be happy with, with uh, what we are doing and everyone will, will agree that this is the right style, we, regardless of spending 
where where is where is MLS going in your mind? This is a very big picture um, question, but I mean, we've seen Messi join the league, arguably the greatest player ever. Uh, I'm watching you guys play against LAFC, and I'm like, oh, there's Chiellini. And like, as an England supporter, I was like, God, I remember seeing him a few years ago at Wembley, and I did not care for him, right? Like, he's like a, a world class player. Uh, I know he's a little bit older, but. Like, is it going towards, you know, these star players being attracted to cities like Miami and Los Angeles and maybe New York and the rest of the league um, kind of just going like, oh, God, how are we how are we going to compete with that? Mm, No, the rules of the league are not made like that because you have uh, a discovery list. So players cannot really, really select where they want to go always. But I, I also have not seen that the players, um, um, the players that show interest in our league, um, are interested in in the whole setup of the league. Um, at the end, I think this league is growing faster than every other league. Our stadiums and the new stadiums are amazing, and compared to I would say every other league, than than maybe a few in the top five, not even every in the top five. The the the, the setup of the league, the training facilities, the service that is provided to the players, also the level of training has increased a lot. And you play in a country where you can live with your family in a, in a, in a very good way. And this is also what matters uh, to players. And that's probably, it's also one of the things that, that matters for Messi uh, to, to be in the, at a place where he can be with his family and, and his family and him enjoy life all together. So, so that I think the the MLS setup offers a lot of positives to players other than dollars or some few few hotspots and cities. And um, um, we will see um, where where we go. Um, there is a new discussion about maybe adjusting a little bit the rules to 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 compete in the worldwide market because the worldwide market and the soccer market. Obviously, is not is not um, um, the rules of this are are made in in other markets or the drivers of those those markets are the big five. Mm-hmm. So we also have always to think about how can we adjust to 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 be competitive in the market. How can we adjust our rules and still stick to our system uh, and still stick to to a balanced system and to a playoff system? How can we do this? in a smart way and there's a lot of discussions around that i see i see that the league will change there at at this at this uh, uh point that will all help i think the league has proven that it's continuously growing and that it always adjusts at the right time and i believe that we will also here see a next step within the next one two three years and the world cup obviously is also a huge factor and everyone feels that why more and more every year and that will also help to to grow the league and and to also marketing the league. Then at some point in 2026, if all the players come here and play in our stadiums or in in North America for a few weeks, I'm I'm only optimistic about the the, the league and the direction. I, I I guess like I I I'm the only thing I'm I'm getting is like I'm bullish on MLS like you are. Like I think it's I I think we're going to see tremendous growth for this league over the next little while. My worry though is that the Whitecaps get left behind. So what can you tell me that's going to make me worry less about that? 
<laughs> yeah, no, I would say that what... <laughs> Good question, and thank you for giving me the chance, because it's probably also what a lot of people in our market think about. And I have to say that in soccer, in general, and you can go through, through every league, and I have worked for a club, for, uh, and there are other clubs also in Germany, that league that I know very well, that are super successful and compete with the best teams and are actually uh, finishing seasons ahead of the best teams, the biggest spenders, because they have a clear concept. They have a clear philosophy. They, ha they have a lot of consistency there and they stick to their plan and they add the players exactly to their plan and they are not changing the coaches or go from a defensive-minded coach to a offensive-minded coach like some big players have done over the last years. Um, teams like Union Berlin, that uh, team that plays the first time in the Champions League this year and is definitely in the bottom third spenders, if not even in the bottom, bottom <laughs> three team spenders. Um, a team like Freiburg that is doing this with a good player development since many years. But Leicester City has won the league in England at some point mm -hmm. and has then played in the Champions League after. It's not only the German teams. There are a lot of examples that in soccer, because it is such a big market, it is not only one centralized market. You have also the chance to pick players worldwide from Africa, from Asia, from Australia, from, from Europe, South America. So there's a, so many players that if you do very well in what your plan is, if you find the right players to, to your plan everywhere in the world and you, you do just better and you maybe work harder on this than others, um, then you can be successful. You can be very successful because it is such a complicated game. It's not like basketball where one player maybe can really make the difference. Two players in our game, it's a game where you need 11 players always on the pitch. And uh, it, the, 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 the summary of 11 players, the, the, if you add all of them together and how they play together can make the difference. Otherwise, we we wouldn't have been so close to LA also this year. Amazing players, as you said, a team that, that uh, we have played them over six games. We have won against them. We have tied against them. We had very close games. And the main reason for that is that our team was, was really working well together like an oil machine and, and everyone knew what his teammate is doing and everyone was there to help his teammate at the right point and that's also the work of Vanny Satini, and this is the only way how I believe we, we can be consistently successful. Um, because, again, uh, so many people always ask about this big spending, but big spending alone doesn't make you a good team. And what does big spending mean? Bringing in one player mm. will not make you a, big, a, a great team. And, and, and Miami has done great, and Messi is the best player uh, ever in this game. And he is amazing to see him in our league. But Miami also has to do now a lot of other things to be a real, real good team. And they haven't made the playoffs at the end. And uh, they haven't always got the best results, even with Messi. So there is more than that. And if people want to know what the Whitecaps do uh, and why we believe that this is the right plan, look only, look only how our performance has developed over the last years with not big spending, with sticking to the plan and how close we are to the top four teams in our conference. And why shouldn't we believe that we can do another step? 
Uh, Axel, two things as we close here. One, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this today. And two, we really appreciate uh, how candid and open and honest you were because there was obviously going to be tough questions when your season falls short of expectations, which is ultimately winning a championship, but also because of how controversial it was. So thanks for all of this. We really appreciate it today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, yep. Axel. Uh, Axel Schuster, Whitecaps Sporting Director here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Like, I, 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 lo- I love his passion and his um, acknowledgement that, I mean, he, he did tacitly acknowledge, like, yeah, we're not going to be among the big spenders. So if you're Axel Schuster, you have two options, right? You can whine and complain about not spending enough, and you can go to your boss, the owner, and go, can we have some more money? Or you can say, okay, this is the reality and this is how we have to do it. And overall, I'd say this season was fairly successful. But um, my question, and I think the big one, and then he even said, like, I appreciate this question because I think there's a lot of people that probably feel the same way. And obviously, they have these discussions too. Yeah. As MLS gets bigger, right? Mm-hmm. World Cup's going to come here. There's a lot of money invested in this league. The demographics for soccer look pretty good in North America. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be uh, crazy growth or whatever, but I think it will be. Mm-hmm. Does it become a league like England where you've got the big spenders like the Manchester teams and the London teams, and then you've got other teams that are kind of like, hey, we're Burnley or whatever, right? Like, is, is that the way it's going? Because as more money comes into the game, mm-hmm. like, it's the owners that will want to spend, yeah. right? The owners that will be sitting there going like, I want to go out and bid on these guys. And I think financially it makes sense for us. But the reason MLS has survived, unlike NASL, is because they have been responsible spenders. But eventually the pressures to spend build. Yeah, I don't know if it'll end up looking the same as the Premier League because I I don't think the Premier League as we know it and quite honestly the game globally as we know it is is it's so completely different now. Like the Saudi League acted as a massive disruptor mm-hmm. for the global market and it also really threw a lot of long-standing traditions and thoughts that we had into arrears. Like we started to realize that playing for glamour clubs in England isn't necessarily as important to some of the individuals as we thought it might be. I've had conversations with guys that I've played with who aren't English and didn't grow up like adoring United Mm -hmm. or Arsenal or Chelsea. And they said, look, for a lot of these players that get recruited by these clubs, wearing a Manchester United jersey doesn't mean all that much to them. Wearing their national team jersey does, but what means a lot to them is making a lot of money. And <laughs> well, I'm not. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it, you know, there's there's going to be generations of players that grow up that it, you know, like when you watch the Beckham documentary, mm-hmm. Beckham's goal in life was to wear Manchester United colors because it was his old man's favorite club, and that was all that he ever wanted to do. Right? And there's a new wave of players where. Priorities and Axel kind of hit on it earlier in the hit. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he's like, quality of life and family life and the ability to live is a big thing and a big yeah. deal, right? And when it became time to a lot of players deciding, are you going to go to MLS or are you going to go to the Saudi League? That became a big part of it, right? And if you want to make it really basic, 
Ronaldo went. Yeah, all the Scottish guys are like, I don't know if I'd do well in Saudi Arabia. It's hot. The sun's out a, a lot. A lot of sun, right? <laughs> Ronaldo went to the Saudi League and Messi went to MLS, if you want to simplify it. So what does that mean moving forward? Because of the structure of the league and because of the dynamics where you can't get relegated and you will always have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. I just think there's a different dynamic. That being said, things are certainly trending in a direction where the rich clubs are going to spend their way to success or at least try to, and the smaller clubs won't even have the opportunity to do that. Now, can you unearth some diamonds in the rough and gems? I do think the possibility remains for that. I do think that a lot of MLS teams are going to be able to mine really young players from South American leagues mm -hmm. and from African leagues and make financial commitments that might even be better than some of the European clubs. Yeah. Because that's the other thing here. You can also say you can come live in a place like Vancouver. See, that's a big, that's a big wild card in all of this mm. is do you, I mean, there are a lot of issues in a lot of domestic. Rent is high. <laughs> but there are a lot of issues in a lot of domestic leagues in Europe right now, financial and otherwise, that don't make them the most glorious landing spots on earth, as opposed to a lot of the places in North America. So there's so many different dynamics at play here. Um, also, MLS needs to get its refereeing straight. <laughs> I just want to throw that they out there. They should not run into players during play. Yeah, like you should probably nip that train in the bud. So, so I'm away next week. Um, I imagine that's just going to be five days of Halford complaining about refereeing. Yeah, we're not booking guests. So yeah, it's just like it's like actually we're booking a few referees. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, you know what? Jo all joking aside, I was like, I would love to see if the MLS Referees Association would make Tim Ford available in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. You know, I would be curious to see. If they have the gumption to just even let him explain what he was thinking, I doubt it'll have ever happen. I'm not sure that yeah. that mechanism is there, but I think it would be a fascinating interview. I would love to do it. Uh, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us next for some more Canucks talk on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.